Sometimes it's not the immediate pay, it's the retirement benefits. <laughs> Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? If you have a Bible with you, turn to Romans 8. Otherwise, I think we're going to have the words up on the screen. I'm going to read right from the Bible today. Romans chapter 8, and starting in verse 14, just a, just a few verses. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this amazing truth that I get to speak on today. Lord, would you open up our hearts? Would you open up our minds to what is in your heart and what is in your mind in the gospel and what the gospel does for us and in us and through us? Lord, this is stuff that is beyond our wildest imagination. Please, God, open our hearts to your love. Open our hearts to your grace. Hide me this morning, God, behind the cross so that we could hear what you want to speak. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We will give you all the glory for every good thing that happens here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I've titled this morning, Favored Sons and Daughters. And when I read the text, I just, about, and that first verse about being led by the Spirit of God, I just couldn't help of thinking what happened this week. We, uh, I've had a little trouble forgetting things lately. My wife had some, somebody prepared some food for us and left it in the kitchen downstairs and Alice had told me to bring it home and I forgot it and then she said that the next day to bring it home and I forgot it again and, and husbands know how this goes. So she ended up coming and getting it, okay? That's not good. So it's Tuesday morning and we, she came with me to, to be part of the early morning staff prayer and but the situation was is she was going to take Christina works at the school she was going to take Christina's car and I was going to have to pick up Christina after after work and that I I, it was on me to call her and make sure that I made that connection with Christina And, and so Alice is like how how are you going to remember to do that And I said to her, don't worry about it. I've got a system. (laughs) She looks at me like this. She says, tell me what the system is. (laughs) And I said, the Holy Spirit will remind me. (laughs) 
here's what she said without hesitation. That system isn't working. (laughs) And here's a funny thing. I forgot to pick her up (laughs) that afternoon. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit does not want to be responsible for my negligence. Anyway, when I saw this about the being led by the Spirit, I thought of that. Really, it has nothing to do with this sermon, but... (laughs) Favored sons and daughters. Point one, the security of the children of God. Paul is referencing something in that culture at that time. Adoption. It wasn't a Jewish custom. It was very rare for Jews to adopt. It was a Roman custom, and it was only with males. And it was when a a father, a wealthy father, uh, either lost a son or never had a son to leave his estate to, he could adopt one. He could adopt a baby. He could adopt a, a full-blown adult. And that son would be his by adoption and would Im- immediately, a number of things would happen. First, he would become responsible for all debts and obligations that that man or child had beforehand. He would pay those off. Secondly, he was immediately given a new name, and then he was given access to the family fortune as long as he sought to honor and please his father. So Paul is using this, even though Paul himself says salvation, the new new covenant, isn't about just men and sons. It's about women and daughters, and it's, it's about all of us, but he's using a male thing in the Roman culture. So, we're, so, so because of this, women are called the sons of God. Um, it's, it's a metaphor. Men are also part of the bride of Christ. So, that, so God's using metaphors to convey truth. One of the most powerful stories, uh, it was actually the best-selling book of the 19th century, was the story of Ben-Hur. And uh, the man who wrote it did a lot of uh, research on the, the time of Christ. And it's all about a slave named Judah Ben-Hur that gets adopted by a very wealthy Roman man that had lost his son, and he adopts him, and he, he gives him the, the, the family ring, and, and he becomes the son of Arius. He gives him his name. He gives him access to his fortune, and he goes from slave to becoming a son. The security of the children of God. We must be adopted to have the security. In verse 16 here, it says that the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit. And that word testifies 
is a legal word. It's, it's used in the courtroom. It it's testifies as in the court of law. The Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit about the gospel, that Jesus has paid the price for our sins, that we are adopted by God. It says that the Holy Spirit cries out within us, Abba, Father. Abba there is, it is an Aramaic term that is deeply personal and intimate, and it is, it's, our version of it would be daddy. That there is a cry within our heart that he is not just father, but he has become our daddy. That we are in an intimate relationship with God through this adoption. So in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking about discipleship. He's talking about the new covenant. And he says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And we use that in the church to talk about truth as being any biblical truth sets you free in any area, which is fine. But he is talking about one specific truth. He, he says... Uh, the, the Pharisees respond and say, what do you mean be set free? We're, 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 not, we're not in bondage. We are free. And Jesus said, no, no. Whoever is the slave, whoever sins is a slave to sin. And he says in verses 35 and 36 of, of John 8, that's when it goes up on the screen. It's not going to go up there. That's fine. He says, uh, he says, the slave does not have a permanent place in the house, but the son does. Therefore, whomever the son sets free will be free indeed. The slave never has a permanent place in the house. The slave, 50% of the Roman Empire were slaves. The slave isn't there, is there because of performance, there for a job that that slave fulfills. So a slave is only as good as the work he does, and he's never got a permanent place in the house because as soon as he can't do his task, he's removed, and another slave that can do the task is brought in. So he understands from the beginning, it's temporary. And Jesus said it's completely different with the son that's born into the house. He's got a permanent place. His place isn't determined by performance, but because he's a son. He's been born in the house. Therefore, whoever the son sets free will be free indeed. And here's how God frees us. By making us his favored sons and daughters. By taking us off of the performance standard and bringing us into this relationship of favor by his own grace. So we were down in Kansas City for my uh, sabbatical. This is in 2013. It's April of 2013, and I met with a guy named Mark Hendrickson. 
uh, at, at the, the coffee shop down at IHOP. It's called Higher Grounds. And we're having coffee together. And, and these truths about sonship, I'm just exploding with them. And I'm preaching to Mark. It's one-on-one at the coffee grounds table. And I'm telling him about sonship and, and about this is, this is the key. This is, this is what will set us free. This is, this is all about living from a place of favor instead of performance. And I'm preaching this to, to Mark at the table, and this young man comes, Asian young man, comes over and is standing next to the table as I'm telling this, and we just looked at him, what's up? And, and he says, uh, he looks at me, and he says, would you mind... If I sat down here and you and I brought my notebook and you say everything that you just said to him again so I can write it all down. <laughs> he said I came here 2 years ago and I came with great zeal and great desire to please God and it seemed like the harder I worked, the harder I worked, the farther God was away and I became so frustrated that I left and I went out into the world and I just did whatever I wanted to do and it was so empty and it was so hard and and I got to the end of myself all I could think of was to come back here and now I'm back here and I'm afraid I'm going to go right to that same place and what you just said is the truth that I've been longing to hear this is the answer say it again and I'll write it down his name was David see David didn't need to try harder he needed a new covenant he needed a new agreement with God not based on his performance but based on the grace of God and it's not just David it's what we all need. Amen. This is the key to your freedom. This is the key to my freedom. Favored sons and daughters. It, it's hard because you have to get out of yourself and you have to get into the thoughts of God. You have to think of how God feels about you and why he has done what he has done. And we, we uh, a couple of years ago, we did something called Young Preachers. It was on Sunday nights, and we we just had different people in the congregation that wanted to have a shot at preaching, come and preach. We had tons of people. We had over 100 people preach on Sunday nights. It was amazing. And one of my, uh, one of the young, one one of the young guys that shared, he told us a, a story about somebody that, that they, that had moved in with them. And he told the story that this guy had moved in two months ago. Not only did he not have a job, he was not looking for a job. And on top of that, he had these habits that were in the middle of the night keeping him and his wife up. He said, really, since he's been there, we have not slept good once. And he's describing this situation, and I just can't help but be annoyed by whoever this is who's taking advantage of my friend. And he says this, and he says, and the funny thing is, he says, 
It hasn't annoyed me at all. In fact, it's actually our delight to have him with us. And he said, two months ago, my wife had a baby and my son moved in with us. And he said, he has been my, my joy. He's caused nothing but trouble since he's been here. <laughs> yet, yet he is my joy. Multiply that by eternity and you'll have how God feels about you. So he, he put a little twist in it that day. I remember this because I remember that thing turning in me. He says, uh, when other people annoy you, you need to remember how God feels yeah. about them. Amen. Their favored sons and daughters. The security of the children of God. We are now longer slaves to fear, Paul says, again. We were slaves to fear. We were slaves to performance, really slaves to bad performance. But it's possible even as Christians to become slaves to fear again. We have the story of the prodigal son. And he, he gets his inheritance and he goes and he squanders it and, and he, it, it, it all runs out and he's eating the pig's food and he decides to return home and, and he, he says to himself, I will say, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned in your sight, no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. He's not trying to come home as a son. He's coming home as a hired man. He's saying this, I will come home and I will perform. The thing about a hired man is a hired man can be a fired man. Isn't that right? That's how it works. Somebody hired you, they've got the right to fire you. And he wants to come back and he's going to prove himself by Performance, and if he's not good enough, he will be fired. And this is what makes sense. This is what makes sense to human beings. This, this just makes, this is how it works. You need to be good enough. And he's coming home, and the father runs to him and puts his arm around him and kisses him and and he gives his little speech and he leaves off, make me as one of your hired men because he realizes he, he didn't understand. He didn't grasp how his father felt. His father reinstates him, put the best robe on him, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, kill the fattened calf. We need to rejoice because my son has returned. Folks, God's not looking to fire you. He's looking to adopt you. He doesn't want you living in fear of not being good enough. 
He doesn't want you after you failed to go back to living under the fear. I'm not good enough and I have to prove myself to be good enough and to get security, I need to work harder. No, you need to understand more. Just like David did. The key for David was not working harder. It was understanding. This is about God's grace. This is about God making us his favored sons and daughters. This isn't about working for favor. It's about working from favor. This is the security of the children of God. And this is where all good fruit starts from. It's by knowing that you are safe in Jesus by the Holy Spirit testifying to your spirit. Point two, the inheritance of the children of God. Folks, we, we can't grab a hold of this. We are joint heirs with Christ. Everything that is Christ belongs to us. What happens when you change from performance to sonship is you move from getting paid to being able to simply inherit everything God wants to give. Under performance, you're always going to be limited to what you deserve. Under inheritance, you are, there's no limit except what God has. God's got a lot. This, this is why Jesus, this is the plan. This is why Jesus said to his disciples, my peace I give to you. The same peace that calmed the storms. The same peace that I was never afraid with the Pharisees or in any circumstance or in in the middle of all of that was going around, all of the chaos, all of the intimidation. They had seen Jesus' peace. He said, my peace. I'm leaving you my peace. He said that that's John 14, 27. And John 15, 11, next chapter, he says, uh, my joy is going to be in you. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. I'm going to give you what you've seen in me, what I've walked in. You're going to have access to that joy. He says, the next chapter, John 16, 23 and 24, he says, until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. I'm giving you my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy might be full. I'm giving you access to all of heaven through my name, through through my merit. This is, it's so important to grab a hold of inheritance. The time we see Jesus frustrated, well, there's a couple times. But one of the times is the, is the disciples had forgot to bring the extra. Jesus, after he had multiplied the bread and the fish, they had, had, they had 12 extra baskets of leftovers. And, and, and uh, he, they forgot to bring the bread. And Jesus is teaching about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, watch out for the the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And they start talking amongst themselves. This is because we forgot bread. I knew, stupid. I knew you were supposed to, you forgot the bread. I told you to bring it. You didn't bring it. They're having this little squabble about this financial mistake that they have made. And Jesus, Jesus, he just gets a little strong. And he says, don't you guys get it? Are your hearts so hard? 
He said, let me ask you a question. How many people did we feed the first time? And they said, 5,000, 5,000 men. He said, and how many basketfuls were left over? 12. And the second time, how many people did we feed? 4,000. How many basketfuls were left over? Seven. And he says, don't you understand? Understand what? What what, what were they supposed to learn from the miracle of the multiplication of the bread and the fish? Simply this, there's always going to be enough when you're with me. He didn't just point to how many were fed. He pointed to the leftovers. Provision is not going to be a problem when you're traveling with me. You are free to seek first the kingdom of God. The Gentiles are all the time worried about money, worried about having enough, always discussing that. You're not on that system anymore. You've got bigger fish to fry than just meeting your needs. Seek first my kingdom. Grab a hold of my kingdom and know you will have my provision everywhere you go. I have more than enough. I mean, why would God make extra? He's making a statement, isn't he? I've got plenty. First Corinthians 2.12 What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So the Holy Spirit is here, among other things, to show us the inheritance, to show us that which God has freely given us. These are the words of inheritance, freely given. Not that we've earned, but what has been freely given just because we've been adopted as sons and daughters. The Holy Spirit's here to do that. Here's, what, here's how inheritances work. If you have a, a big inheritance... You know, there's a big, there was a big squabble when Prince died because he didn't leave a will. And so who gets all of the estate and all of the millions and millions of dollars? Well, here's the first thing you do. If there's a big estate and it's being contested and everybody wants a piece of the big estate and it's being contested, here's the first thing you do. Get a lawyer. Isn't that right? You, you need to know what is legally yours. It's not, inheritance isn't about what you deserve. It's about what the person who died wanted you to have. That's the issue. And if they wanted you to have something, you honor them by receiving it. Isn't that right? You didn't have any right to the fortune because people can leave their fortune to whoever they want to. But if they chose to leave it to you, you honor them by making sure you get it, that their, their last wish is honored. So you hire a lawyer. A lawyer understands the legal documents. A, law, a lawyer understands what is actually yours and shows you what is yours and shows you the steps to get what was supposed to be yours. So here's what's going on on planet Earth right now. 
There has been a a massive inheritance left. Jesus died to leave an inheritance to make us co-heirs. And that inheritance is being contested. John 10.10 says, The thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So God, so Jesus didn't just die and leave an inheritance. He said, I'm going to send a counselor. I'm sending a counselor. The Holy Spirit's coming. He, he is the divine lawyer. That's why lawyer terms are used around him. About he's going to convict the world and we're going to be witnesses and he's going to testify. The Holy Spirit is the divine counselor. To show us what is ours and to help us grab a hold of it. Because the will is being contested. So here's what happens in Judges 11. The, the land that the, that the, uh, the Israelites received from the Amalekites and the Ammonites, God gave that land to them. And now another king is, is questioning that inheritance. He's, he wants to get that land back and he's writing threatening letters. And, and the, the Jews are very nervous and they, they get Jephthah to fight for them. And Jephthah writes this, this Moabite king a, a letter, and here's what, he, here's what he says in verse 24 of chapter 11. There it is. He says to this, this king that's challenging their inheritance, why don't you give what your god Chemosh has given you? As for us, we will possess that which the Lord our God has given us. This is not about greed. This is about God wanted us to have something and we're going to possess that which he wanted us to have to honor him. And we're not backing down. So we had a we had a car breakdown. 1994 Camry, 250,000 miles on it, and the transmission went out. And I, when I mean out, I mean nowhere. It won't go forward, won't go backward, it's just gone. I had to have AAA tow it back to our house so we would decide what to do with it. We, after many efforts to try to get somebody to take this Camry off our hands, I had to call the salvage yard. And the guy on the phone with me, we agreed they would tow it and he would pay me $150 for this Camry. And I'm like, I've already exhausted everything else. Done. He gives me the time. They're going to come and pick it up. So they send a guy out to pick it up. And this guy, he, I go out to meet him and he's walking around the Camry and he's insulting the Camry and he looks underneath the Camry and he says, uh, c- catalytic converter is gone and that's, that's bad. And I, I'm just like, what's going on? Why is he? I know that this is in horrible shape. That's why it's going to a salvage yard. I didn't know what he was, what, why he was doing this. And then I understood. He says this. 
He's shaking his head and he says, I'll give you $130 for it. I'm like, because <laughs> now I understand what's going on. Sorry, bro. They told me 150. And that thing's not leaving here for $150. Because that was the promise. It's not based on what you think it's worth. There's no accusation that you could throw against that Camry that's going to change the promise they made me. This is not leaving here for one cent less than $150. You say, well, Pastor Tom, it's just $20. It's the principle! <laughs> so he pulls out this big roll of money, and he's like, oh, all right. So he gives me the 150 Sometimes you have to stand up. For what has been promised. I already gave you John 14, 27. Jesus saying, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give. Then he says this. So do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be fearful. Huh? Why would they possibly be troubled or fearful when you've given us your peace? What's he saying? The inheritance is going to be challenged. This peace that I'm giving you is going to be challenged. There's going to be trouble around you. There's going to be fears around you. There's going to be all kinds of things stirred up and you're going to have to possess my peace. You're going to have to choose to possess my peace. Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ, allow the peace of Christ to act as umpire in your hearts. You've got to allow it. You've got to possess it. The peace of Jesus is here for you and for me. This is not optional equipment, folks. This is necessary equipment for life on planet Earth. Has anybody else found that to be true? We need to possess that which he has left us. The inheritance of the children of God. And then he says that that we will share his glory. The greatest part of the inheritance, of course, isn't here. It's coming. We will be with him forever and ever and ever. If indeed we suffer with him. And next week, we're gonna, we're, I'm starting a three-week series called The Sovereignty of God. Next week is The Sovereignty of God and the Believer to help us understand why life can sometimes be so horribly hard and difficult and why such difficult, painful things happen on this earth. We're going to talk about that next week. But for today, I want to simply talk about this third aspect of being the children of God, and that is the discipline of the children of God. We are joint heirs with him if indeed we suffer with him. This is part 
of the inheritance. This is part of being the children of God. We don't get to take one part. Well, I like the peace, joy, and provision thing. And then, but I don't, I don't really want the suffering. No, no, they go together. You have to take both. Because God disciplines his children. Here's what Tim Keller said about this passage. He said, when parents discipline a child, they allow or introduce a milder form of pain in order to teach or mature the child away from behavior that will lead to far greater pain later. So we allow some pain or even introduce some pain But it's not because we don't love our children. It's because we see that if we don't step in, if we don't provide some discipline, they're going to experience something way worse than this little mild pain that we are introducing now. And it's actually the love of God that does that. And and, uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says... That human beings discipline as good as they can. Our fathers on earth disciplined uh, the best they could. But God disciplines us perfectly for our own good. Do you know that God's discipline in our lives is not so that he can lord over us or show that he's in control? Or it is, It's actually for our good that he disciplines us. Hmm. God disciplines us for our good. And here's one thing that you need to understand about God. God is not, is not needy. He doesn't need your approval to have a good day. He doesn't live in need of your approval or my approval or our love for him to still be God. And so he's willing to do difficult things that we don't approve of. He is willing to do stuff that make us mad. He's willing to do stuff that make us say, I don't love you anymore, God. I'm mad at you, God. And he's like, Get over it. (laughs) Stay mad if you need to. But everything that has been done was done for your good. We're going to talk more about this next week, but I want to just give you just a little small picture of how God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And it's, it's, some of you have heard this story before which, please forgive me, but I only have so many stories. And they are the ones that come to me when I'm, when I'm preparing. This, this one, my, my daughter, we're at my mom's house, or mom and dad's grandparents' house, and, it's, uh, and Christina is three years old. Cutest little thing you've ever seen. Maybe two years old. And I, we're in the kitchen... And uh, she comes in. She's got a sippy cup. She carried that thing around with her. She had a blanket in this hand, a sippy cup in this hand. And she reached up to me and she said, Daddy, milk. Has anybody been amazed at how kids are able to communicate what they want? 
Daddy, milk. And I said, sweetheart, what do you say? And she lifted it even higher and said, now. In her mind, in her two-year-old, three-year-old mind, whatever she was, she had a need and she wanted it to be met. And I was the guy that met it. And, um, and the way I would show my love for her would be to give me milk. How, now! I have a discomfort and you've got the means to meet the discomfort. Meet my need now. That's what love is. Meet my needs. That's all she was thinking about. So I'm thinking other, other thoughts, aren't I? I, lo- I couldn't love her more. There's plenty of milk in the refrigerator. But there's no way I'm giving milk on those terms. Because I want something more than for her to survive into adulthood. I want her to be polite. I want her to have character. I don't want her to just grow up. I want her to grow up as a, as a godly person that has manners. She's not thinking any of those thoughts. So I have to teach her. Honey, you need to say please. Now at the time... She's still thinking all the same thoughts, but she's, this is how you get it. Please. So I get her the milk. And it's really funny when it's about a two or three year old, isn't it? it? For some reason, it loses its humor when we start thinking about our present situation. And we want God to demonstrate his love by getting us out of trouble right now. By healing us, by doing this, by doing this. And God, why don't you just do this for me right now? I'm in pain here. We're having trouble here. And Lord's saying, yep, I, I see it and I feel it and I care for it. And I've got a plan to provide and do everything you want me to do. But I've, I, I, I've got to bring you through a process because I've got something more for you than survival. I'm making you beautiful. I'm bringing you into the image of my son. This last week, I had a chance to chat with a pastor in uh, Montevideo, Minnesota. He's, he was my youth pastor when, when I was there. It wasn't my youth pastor. He was God's youth pastor. And he took over the church when we were gone. His name is Bruce Jarman. And... Um, Bruce and Athena, a few years ago, adopted a child from China um, named Judah. And the reason why they could adopt as easy as they could is because Judah's legs were messed up. They were turned in, and, and so he had been abandoned, and he had been in an orphanage, and, and they, they adopted him and, and brought him here and had surgeries, and Judah's running around. Well, they recently decided they wanted to do it again. They wanted to, to adopt someone, and so they let the, the Chinese government know, and 
There's a little boy named um, Z. And uh, he was born 18 months ago with a condition called droopy eyes. And what happens is, because uh, who knows why, but this child was abandoned. And the way they do it, they wrap him up in, they wrapped him up in blankets and they left him in a very public place for the police to find. And so the police had found little, little Z and, and took him to a, an orphanage and the first line is, of course, they love Chinese people to adopt the, these orphans, but 18 months had gone past and nobody wanted Z. He's got, he's got problems. He's got issues. And so they sent Bruce and Athena an email and they, they were actually wanting to, to have a girl next because they already had a boy, but when this email came, their, their hearts immediately were grabbed and they made arrangements to fly over to China so that they could adopt this little boy. So they brought him back. His name, um, I can't even pronounce what his name originally was, but part of it had Z in it. So they just took off the Z, Z-I, and, um, and they added their own name, Benjamin. Z. Benjamin is his name. And here's where the name Benjamin came from. Bruce had a dream when they first found out that they were going to go over there and adopt him. And Bruce had a a dream, and it was this baby grown up was was his right-hand man. And that God was making a promise that that's who this is. This this little guy is going to be your right-hand man. And so, Benjamin means son of my right hand. But the way that Benjamin is named is very interesting. It's in Genesis 35. Because when Rachel has Benjamin, she, di- she, is, she is dying as she has him. And she names him Ben-Omi, which means son of my sorrow. And so he's, he's born in death and pain and sorrow and she gives him that name and Jacob comes his father and says no in in that culture a name was who you were a name defined you and he says no that's not going to be his name I'm naming him Benjamin son of of my right hand. And Bruce said, it has been so funny because Judah, from the first we met him and brought him home, he has just been by Athena all the time. He's just, he just clings to Athena and their daughter, Tori, and that's just Judah. And he said, and with Z Benjamin, he is just drawn to me. He just follows me around everywhere. He just...
So here's the gospel, folks. Just real plain. We are, we are all broken. Sin has caused us all to be orphans, all to be abandoned by a world system that demands perfection or you're not good enough. And you know what? There was absolutely nothing that little Z Benjamin could do to travel to Bruce and Athena to, to try to communicate to them. He, he was incapable of any of that. It was all on them. They decided to adopt. They paid a massive price just to get over there. And then another price to the Chinese government to adopt him. Just so they could have him as their own. And not only is he in the family, he's being trained to be the son of his right hand. Guys, Jesus paid an amazing price that we can't comprehend when he left heaven. It says he set his glory aside and he became a human being. And then as a human being, he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. Did you know in, in Hebrews 12 too, it says that he did all of that. He endured the shame for the joy set before him. Do you know what the joy set before him was? It was you. Was me? When I talk to Bruce, he's not talking about the sacrifice they made or the cost of it. He's talking about the delight of little Z Benjamin. They're so excited about him. He's in the home. He has been fully adopted. He is legally theirs. This is the gospel. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to sing a song in just a moment together. But before we do, could we have every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment? I don't know what you've been told about God. Or maybe, maybe it's not even what you've been told. Maybe it's just what you believe must be true. Sometimes we just make up thoughts about God on our own with nobody helping us. But here's the truth. God loves you. God knows you're broken. God knows that apart from him, you are an orphan in this world. No matter how many friends you have or how much family you have, spiritually, we're all orphans until we are adopted, until the Holy Spirit comes and makes us God's. So here's how it works. The Bible says Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If anyone, no matter what they have done, no matter how broken they are, no matter how addicted they are, no matter how depressed they are, if anyone opens up that door, I will come in to him. And he does that by the power of the Holy Spirit who immediately adopts us. Immediately gives us a new name. Christian, Christ follower. 
immediately gives us the inheritance, which is that security. And everything that goes with being an heir of God. And if that is you today, you do not have a witness in yourself that you are a child of God. You don't have that witness in yourself that you are in. God wants to give you that witness today. If that is you, would you just raise your hand real high long enough for me to see it? We're going to pray that prayer. We're going to make that transaction this morning. All over this place. See that hand? Way in the back. Anybody else? By upraised hand. Could we stand together in the presence of God? I want that one that raised their hand to just put your hand over your heart. Pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, I open up my heart. I give you my brokenness. I give you my failure. I give you my sin. I ask you to save me, to wash me, and to adopt me. In Jesus' name. The second call right before we sing this song is you are, you are in, you are adopted. You're part of the family. You have that witness, but you've gone back to being a slave to fear. You, you, you've gone back to letting your heart be troubled and, and you have been experiencing oppression and thinking maybe this is what God wanted for you. And today you're going to step up and take your inheritance Possess that which Jesus died for. If that is you, would you just open your arms like this? We're going to have a short prayer and then we're going to sing this song. Lord, this world is filled with things to make us afraid. Our lives are filled with troubles outwardly that can end up troubling us inwardly about you and about us and about how you feel about us. and Lord, there's all kinds of accusations that say we don't deserve this or that. But we do deserve these bad things. Lord, you said we would overcome the accuser by the blood of the Lamb, not by what we've done, but by what you did on our behalf. I break all accusation off of your favored sons and daughters right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I break fear in Jesus' name. Would you release us, God, into the fullness of your peace and of your joy and of your provision? And Lord, as we put that ring on, let us say to you, God, I will honor you with all that I am and with all that I do because I am yours.